I'm going to read two passages of scripture. Uh, one from the letter of Peter, first letter to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 to 25. And then the focus of our message will be from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 to 16. But starting with 1 Peter 2 verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether in whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And a few verses from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. We've just had the Beatitudes. You know that, don't you? The blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger. And Jesus goes on in verse 13 to say, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. You've been looking at the theme of living for God's glory. Great theme. 
uh, and we're going to continue that theme this morning. From what I understand, you've already looked at got what God's glory means as revealed in the scriptures uh, and you've begun last week to look at what God's glory means for our lives and that's the thing that we're going to continue to look at today and in particular we're going to look at the effect that Jesus says living for his glory should have on us as his followers and on the world around us because in the Sermon on the Mount, if you read those verses in Matthew 5, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, some of the most well-known, most famous verses in the Scriptures, Jesus says in effect that if we live that way, if we live for his glory, then we will change the world around us. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. You see, the Sermon on the Mount paints a really sharp contrast between the standards that Jesus expects for us who claim to be his followers and the standards of the world. He, is, he expects that our living for God's glory, living according to God's teaching, will not only affect us and change us, but it will affect our families and our friendships, our communities, even the world in which we live. Like a light shining on a hill, it'll be seen like salt that flavours our food. It won't go unnoticed. And as Christians living in this world, the Sermon on the Mount says we should not be able to live for Christ unnoticed. It will make a difference to us if we live for him and for his glory. You see, the followers of Jesus are to be different to the world. You and I, friends, are to be different. Different in our character, different in our honesty, different in our lifestyle choices to the world, different in our priorities, different in our morality, different in our relationships with each other, how we treat one another, how we speak to one another at our church meetings. David didn't tell me to say that. How we respond when somebody hurts us. We're to be different. But a word of caution here, we're not to be odd or strange or weird. We've met those kind of Christians, haven't we? And if you haven't, you might be that person. I'm not going to ask you to look around. Just keep your eyes focused to the front. How do we change the world around us? How do we live for God's glory? Well, these verses tell us we should live as God expects us to live. It's as simple as that. Live as God expects us to live. You will change and you will affect people around you. The Beatitudes, in the Beatitudes, Jesus calls his followers to put God first. In their motives, in their actions, in their business, in their language, in their thoughts in their priorities, put God first. And too many Christians today, I'm just throwing this out there, they don't do it. I'm not going to ask you this question, but how many of you read your Bible every day? I was taught growing up to have a quiet time as a young Christian. And when we used to come together for a Bible study, our pastor used to make us carry our Bibles through the rough estate that I grew up. And that could get your head kicked in. You know, 
And then he'd say to you at the start of the Bible study, I'm just going to go around and ask you what God said to you in your quiet time this morning. I used to have to make stuff up, you know. (laughs) But I tell you what worries me today, and I don't know whether it does David, I'm sure it does, how many of us put God's word first in our lives. Start off the day with God's word. Start off giving time to God each day. Because when we put God first and we let his Holy Spirit work in our lives, it changes us. And we begin to develop the characteristics, the character of God in our lives. We become more like Christ. Have you ever had that moment where you realise you're a bit like your dad? Or your mum? My dad died a few years ago. Uh, But I can remember as kids, as I said, one of nine children, seven boys, we were really competitive, all Leeds fans, you know, it was just a nightmare for my dad. And every now and then we'd be moaning, just moaning or crying for the sake of it, you know. And I can remember my dad saying these words, I'll give you something to cry about in a minute. (laughs) Can't do that now, can you? But then it was okay to abuse your children like that, you know. (laughs) Can I say that? Anyway, too late now. My dad used to say that. And I found myself once with my, when my children were young saying, I'm going to give you something to cry about. And I thought, I oh, know, I'm my dad. You know? And as I get older, strangely, I'm about the shape of my dad. You know? There's elements of him that I recognize within myself. You know what? His influence is still there in my life. If you spend time with God, our Heavenly Father, If you let his spirit work in your life, you know what? You're going to become like your dad. In all the right ways. But not enough Christians do that. But we're called here to do that. If you notice in the Beatitudes, I'll encourage you to read those later. The first four Beatitudes speak about our relationship with God. And the next four speak about our relationships with one another. That reminds you, that's intentional. Because it ties up, doesn't it, with other parts of scripture that say, love the Lord your God, love your neighbour as yourself. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbour. We can't claim to love God if we don't love our neighbours. We can't claim to love God if our love of God doesn't influence our love for our neighbour. I mean, that's clear in scripture, all the way through scripture. Jesus told that small group of followers that he called to him to live their lives the way he taught them. And he told them they would turn the world upside down. And they did, didn't they? They turned the world upside down. So how do we change the world around us? How do we live for God's glory? We've also got to be in the world, but different to the world. Got to be in the world, but different to the world. In order to change the world, we've got to be part of it. I baptised uh, a chap at Weston called Bob. He was one of the first people I baptised there. I'd been there a few months. And uh, Bob came from quite... He'd been in the army and uh, he had his own business. And it was like a pipework business. He's an executive now. His business is very successful. But in them days, it was hard graft, you know, for him. And he was quite a hard man. And he came to faith and... Uh, at his baptism, there were these three guys who Bob, they were his drinking pals from the pub. 
who came to his baptism. You could see, because all the church folk were gathered, and these guys were over like on their own. And uh, I went over to talk to them. And uh, it turned out they were a bit cross with me, actually, because I said, oh, you're, you, you meet with Bob down at the pub. They said, not anymore. <laughs> we never see Bob anymore. He doesn't come to the pub anymore. And you know what? There was something of that that was not right. Do you understand what I mean? How can Bob witness to them if he's not there anymore? If he's not in their lives, they're so busy doing church that he was missing doing ministry. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want this Mark Clay, you know, uh, team leader of the East Midlands Baptist says Christians should be in the pubs. But Bob needed to keep those relationships with those friends so that he could share his faith with them. So that he had the opportunity to be around non-Christians. We've got to be careful that we don't withdraw into kind of like subculture as Christians from our world. You know, Jesus could have remained safe in heaven, but he came down and got his hands dirty and became one of us and lived among us, lived in our world but he was very different to what our world offered. These verses say that you and I are called to be salt and light. In other words, to have an influence in our world. We're called to be the light of the world, a light that's seen. There's no point having a light that's not seen. We've got to be out there letting people see who we are, what we are. And there's a danger there, isn't there? Because we can be a bad witness to God as well as a good witness. But we've got to be out there letting people see the good things that we do so that they thank God for us. So that they are drawn to God. We're called to make a difference, you and I, friends, in the office and in the classroom and in the NHS and in the shop. Wherever we work, whatever we're doing, that's the front line of ministry. That's where the church will grow. When you witness for Christ. When you share your faith, when you have the opportunity, not in that odd way we talked about earlier. But when there's that opportunity that comes along. We're called to have an influence among our friends and our family and our leisure communities. A few years ago I started playing league table tennis. Because I'm really good. Beat any of you. I'm on an 83% win average at the moment. I'm humble as well, uh, you know. Um, but the reason I started to play seriously was because I realised I never met any non-Christians. I spent my whole time with Christians. And you're great. But at the table tennis match, when somebody loses, they swear. And they get cross. And, you know... I get a chance to just be a Christian there. And a little while ago, one of the team members whose mum was really ill asked if I would pray for her mum. And I said, well, you pray with it. Oh, no, I can't pray, Mark. You're a vicar. You pray, you know. But I just thought that was wonderful. That opportunity to begin to be a light, be a witness. Because that is a calling for all of us. It's easy, isn't it, to feel daunted <clears throat> by all the problems in our world. And sometimes we can think, well, what, what can I do? And then I look at people in that situation, I look at people like Mother Teresa who began by just caring for one person and then caring for another person. 
and her influence grew and her ministry grew and she influenced others and she became known across the world for that work that she does. But it began being involved in doing what we can do, where we can do it. I don't think it's easy to be a committed Christian today in the UK. I think we live in a society that is growing less friendly towards God and his people. In fact, towards most religious people. I think there's an anti-religion uh, sense of um, a, a growth in anti-religion, anti-religious feeling. But as Christians, whether we like it or not, <clears throat> there is a conflict at times between what the Bible teaches and what the world says is okay in a number of areas. And biblical, traditional concepts of morality are no longer accepted in our world. Fiona Gibson, who wrote for the Daily Mail, said, if there is a moral code, it's whatever is pleasurable, it's okay to do whatever you feel like doing. That's what she says the moral code is for our world. But that's not the moral code that we read in here. God has moral absolutes. There's this phrase today, isn't there? This kind of, well, whatever's true for you is true. God has absolute truths that he expects us to hold up to. And that's challenging for us as Christians in a world that doesn't largely accept the teaching of Scripture. But that means it gives us as Christians a challenge. A challenge to follow the teaching of Christ or the teaching of the world. Who are you going to follow? The teaching of Jesus says we must be in the world, but different to it. We must be in the world, but not of the world. We are to offer what John Stott in his commentary says is a counterculture. People have got to come in here and see you as a different, have a different group of people, different in the quality of your relationships, different in the way you deal with issues in the world. They've got to come in and say, whatever they've got, I want to catch it. Whatever they've got, I want some of it. Are you attractive like that as a church? Because we should be. We're not. To want the same as the world wants. We're not simply to accept the world's standards as our standards. The concepts and teachings in the Beatitudes are radically different to this world's view. If we live according to the teaching of Jesus, then we will anticipate as his followers coming into conflict with the world at times to have our beliefs challenged. Jesus knew this would happen. In the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 11, what did he say? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. If we live according to the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to face persecution and difficulty. We're going to come into conflict at times with the world. So we want to live for God's glory and we want to change the world. How do we do that? By being the salt of the earth, these verses say. 
The idea of salt carries this idea of purity, doesn't it? Jewish sacrifices were often offered with salt as part of the sacrifice. Salt's a preservative. But most of all, we associate salt with flavouring, don't we? I made Yorkshire puddings a few weeks ago because I'm the cook in the house. I'm a modern man, you know. Uh, And basically, my wife can't cook, so I do all the cooking. And uh, I made Yorkshire puddings. Just make them. I mean, you know, I'm a Yorkshireman. It's easy. And I completely left out the salt. They were horrible. The salt makes a difference, doesn't it? If you leave salt out of things, it makes a difference. That presence, you're aware of it. We are to be the taste of God and the flavour of God in this world. We are to season this world. That's what this image is saying. When we uh, come into contact with our friends and neighbours, when we rub up against our neighbours in all the right ways, not in the weird kind of ways, but when we rub against our neighbours, there ought to be that sense of presence, God's presence. I said earlier, I laughed earlier, my, uh, I like to wear um, nice smelling aftershave. Do I smell? I'm going to come on. Do I smell nice? Very nice. Very nice. I tell, I tell you, I like wearing nice aftershave. When I was at Western, I, I used to be there and the ladies would come. Well, it wasn't always the ladies. Some of the men would come as well and they would say, oh, Mark, what are you wearing? That's nice. So I can't tell you because then everybody will wear it. Uh, and so, but I like that, you know. My daughter uh, laughs that, uh, you know, my shirts all smell of this. And, and she said a few weeks ago, she said, Dad, when it's your funeral, I'm going to spray your aftershave onto the orders of service. So there'll be that smell of you. I thought, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I said that to her. I said, that's a bit weird, Sarah. She said, yeah, but this is who you are. You know, I recognise that I have an aroma. <laughs> a good one. I want to just stress that, you know. Do, we're meant to have this aroma of God. When people meet with us, when people rub up against us, come into contact with us, do we leave them with a sense of the presence of God? Or are you just like them? Am I just like them? Am I no different? Does God make no difference in my life? In which case, why bother coming here on a Sunday? If God and we're living for his glory, he should change us, make us different, but in all good, attractive ways, so that we become, there's that old word, winsome. People say, I don't know what you've got, you know, but I, I want some of what you've got. I don't, you seem to cope with things differently to me. You seem to deal with that issue. You, your relationships together with your Friends and the people at church is, is different. I led a guy to faith whose um, little baby was dying. Um, little boy was eight months old and he was on a life support machine. Mum was a Christian, dad wasn't. Uh, and uh, the baby had been declared brain dead. Um, and I was going in every day to the intensive care unit because they were keeping the baby on life support so as to get all the drugs out of the system so that uh, it could be used for organ donation. And one day the dad said to me, who wasn't, I kept expecting the dad to say, where's your God? You know? And one day the dad said to me, we're on our own, he said, will you dedicate my little boy? So I said, of course I will. Yeah, of course we will do that. And I had that little thing in the back of my head, you know, that says, 
he's not a Christian. Do you take this opportunity? And I'm thinking, he's in a very vulnerable position. Maybe not. So I kind of said to him, well, I'm happy to do it. It's not a problem at all. I said, but, you know, it's you who's asking me to do this and you've always said you don't believe. And he says, well, if to believe, if to see my son again, I have to believe, I believe today. I led him to faith. The thing that was, I asked him later, some months later, what was the, some of the key things? And one of the key things in that, you know what, what it was? The people in church. They'd been doing their lawn, they'd been cleaning their house, they'd been digging their garden, they'd left so much food that they had like food for a year in their freezer, you know. They were doing all this stuff to try to support this family. And none of their other friends were doing that stuff in the same way. And that was one of the things that just began to make him realise that this group of people, there was an influence. Do you get it? There was a fragrance of Christ about what they were doing. As God's people, we're called to be different. And it's a difference that has to be seen. We cannot be secret Christians. Because even if we want to be secret Christians, if you love God and you put God first and you live for his glory, I tell you what, you're going to be seen. It's going to be evident in your life and in your relationships. People will know that God has made a difference to you. We change the world also by being light of the world. These are the verses says we're the light of the world. A light can act as a warning, can't it? If you ignore a lighthouse, you're going to end up on the rocks. When we see people heading for the rocks in their lives, when we see people making bad choices, sometimes that light in our lives is to be that warning, sound the alarm bell. You know, sometimes Christians are the people who sound the alarm for our world when it's heading in the wrong direction. A light can also be an attraction, can't it? When things are dark, we say there's light at the end of the tunnel. My little grandchildren, uh, they've got these really fancy lights now that like wake up with the dawn and all this kind of stuff. You know, When my children were kids, we used to just leave the landing light on and the door open a bit. Is that just showing how old I am, David? Yeah. You don't <laughs> pretend like you're younger than me, mate. You know, so. But we used to leave the landing light. Why? Because that little bit of light just made them feel safe, feel warm. Light can be an attraction. We should shine our light. Too many Christians are ashamed of what they believe and who they believe in. I'm sure there's none of you here. But we are to shine the light. When God makes a difference to us, when God does something in our lives, we've got to be prepared to share that. In the Feast of Tabernacles that used to happen... I don't know if any of you have been to Jerusalem. Have you been to Jerusalem? Some of you? Anybody? You climb up a hill, don't you, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is set on a hill. If you drive there, I drove there. It's a big, long drive up the hill. 
And the temple was at the top of the hill. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, they used to light all the lights in the temple so the light could shine across. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he said those when it was the Feast of Tabernacles. He said those words. This idea of a light shining on a hill. Anybody could look up and see effectively where God dwelt. We are the light of the world. We're to be set on a hill. We're to let people see where God is and where God is to be found among this group of people. God is in this place. God is in my life. Do we shine our light? We're going to sing about that later. What does it say in Matthew 5.14? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's referring to this Feast of Tabernacles. How easy do you find it to hide your light? There's a challenge for you this morning, isn't it? Because if we find it easy, maybe we're not living for God's glory. Only you can answer that. Because I don't believe there's any place in the Christian life for secret discipleship. I think we're to be normal. I think we're to be warm and welcoming and generous and open and kind. And I think when we are those things, when the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives and evident in our churches, I don't think you'll be able to keep them away from the door because the world offers nothing like it and the world is desperate for it. I was uh, going out of a church last week and the whole church, this is a church that's struggling, but the church was packed, the building. And it was the University of the Third Age that was meeting in their building. And I thought, why isn't it packed like that on a Sunday? What are they offering? It, it was just a challenge for me. Are they offering better than what we've got to offer? Doesn't that scare you? Are you still awake? <laughs> Doesn't that scare you? Scared me. I walked, if I was the pastor of that church, I'd be saying, okay, I've got to figure out what they're doing and I actually got to do it better than them. But as Christians, we've got, we have so much to offer. I'm going to finish with this. Living for God's glory, if we do it, we will change our world and we'll change the world around us by living as God expects us to live according to his word. By not withdrawing from the world, but also not, but also being willing to be different to the world. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives to make us more like God, more like Christ, more like our Father. And allow our Christian faith to be visible in any way that we can. Not scare them, but attract them. That's the other thing about a light, you know. You mustn't shine the light in such a way that it becomes like the torturer's lamp, you know, that scares them and drives them off. We mustn't be that. But let them see the difference that God makes in our lives so that they want what you've got. And they want. And you know what? It's not hard. It's not hard. All we have to do is live for God, put God first every day. He'll do all the changing. There was a poster outside a church, I loved it. It said, God loves you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. 
God will change us. I'm going to finish with this. Uh, There was a meeting of some young uh, people and they were discussing this text, you are the salt of the earth. And uh, they were making suggestions about what it might mean. And one young person said, uh, salt imparts a desirable flavour. It's good, isn't it? Another young person said, salt preserves from decay. I like that. And then a Chinese girl spoke out of her experience and she said, salt creates thirst. And there was a hush in the room. And everyone was thinking, have I ever made anyone thirsty for God? Friends, that's the challenge for you and me today. Have you or I, this church, do we make people thirsty for God? By the way that we live, by the way we live in community, by what we do, by who we are, do we make people want God? Amen.